Well, if you'd like to take up a Bible, uh, we are going to turn to our final reading from Exodus uh, this morning. Exodus chapter 40, uh, which you can find on page 100 in your pew Bibles. We've been seeing over the last few weeks God's great plan to come and live among his people in the tabernacle, this tent that the people are to build. But we've also seen the people's great sin, and so they've needed God's grace and forgiveness to enable them to live with God. But God does forgive them. Uh, we saw that last week because of Moses. And, um, and so they get a new start. And um, the last few chapters of Exodus have described how the people build the tabernacle according to the instructions, just as they were originally given. Uh, So we're going to read the end of that section now and the kind of final uh, arrangements for the tabernacle. And boys and girls, if you're listening this morning, look out for what fills this tent, okay? What fills this tent? So we're going to begin reading at uh, chapter 40, and we're going to firstly read verses 1 to 5. Let's hear God's word. Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, On the first day of the first month, place the ark of the testimony in it and shield the ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the ark of the testimony and place the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. And then if you move down to verse 33... Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. And this is God's word. We're going to turn to page 1039 for our second Bible reading, which is from the New Testament. We've been thinking about how God's glory was evident in the tabernacle at the time of Moses, and we're going to see how God's glory, His goodness, became evident on the face of Jesus. So, Luke chapter 9, and we're going to read uh, from verse 18, page 1039. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, 
and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet to lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days later, after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his exodus, his departure, which he was about to bring in fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three tabernacles, three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was talking about. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one what they had seen. Amen. Tell me this, in a world of 4,200 religions, what makes Jesus any way unique? In a world with countless places of worship, entertainment, and commerce, what makes church any way special? And in a world of seven and a half billion people, what makes those who own the name Christian any way unique or special or different? Well, that's what we want to explore today as we turn to this very last chapter in the book of Exodus.
Shall we pray? Gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father, as we come near the end of our studies from the book of Exodus, it is our prayer that by grace we may glimpse something of your glory. For the sake of Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Well, over these last uh, number of weeks, we have seen that God has delivered His people from the heavy yoke of Pharaoh. Once the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, but now God graciously and miraculously rescued them from bondage. And more than that, we have seen that God uh, presented demands upon His people. They were the Ten Commandments. Having been rescued, saved, the children of Israel were now under obligation to be faithful, to be holy and pure. And out of gratitude to God, as a testimony concerning all that God had done for them, they were given these instructions how to live. And then we've seen that God dwelt among his people. In spite of the terrible and shocking incident of the golden calf, uh, which in Moses' absence uh, the people bowed down and worshipped as an idol, God nonetheless chose to pitch his tent with them. And through the construction of a tabernacle, God made his dwelling among them. And now this morning, in the very last verses of chapter 40, we see that the cloud, which along with the fire had protected the Israelites from the Egyptians and led them through the deserts to Mount Sinai, is now established over the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In fact, the intensity of God's glory was so great, verse 35, that Moses could not enter into the tent of meeting, that is the inner sanctuary, because the cloud had settled upon it. And in case you hadn't noticed this in the previous verse, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Well, you say that was then, what about today? If that was how God showed His glory then, in those days, how does God do it now? And because all the Exodus is pointing forward to Messiah, according to the Scriptures, there are three chief ways, three ways in which God makes His glory known today. And they are, first of all, in the face of Jesus. Secondly, in the gathering of the church, and thirdly, in the witness of Christian lives. So, let's take these three things sequentially. First of all, the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus. Very shortly, we will, of course, be celebrating Christian, uh, Christmas and next week, oddly enough, we'll come to John's Gospel, chapter 1, where in verse 14 we will read, the Word became flesh and made His tabernacle among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
the glory of God was so great in the book of Exodus that nobody could look on the face of God and live. And yet, amazingly, astonishingly, God, in His infinite wisdom, in His incredible humility, has chosen to accommodate Himself so that we could get to know Him in a way that would not kill us. We can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, in one sense, we mean that spiritually, but in another sense, there was that physical aspect to it. When John said that God became incarnate, to quote Tim Chester, no one had to evacuate the room when Jesus entered it. In that sense, God's glory was hidden. But nonetheless, we see God's glory in the face of Jesus in His purity, His holiness, and His sheer goodness. There was nothing duplicitous, nothing devious, nothing two-faced about Jesus. His countenance must have been open. It must have been honest. It must have been completely true not necessarily handsome. In fact, the book of Isaiah would suggest that he was anything but handsome, but it was a face full of integrity. And occasionally, well, once in fact, there was a moment when Christ's glory became plainly revealed. And that story is in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, which we read together. Peter had confessed very spontaneously that Jesus was the Messiah. And eight days after that, Jesus took Peter and his other two closest disciples, James and John, up a mountain to pray. Funny that, uh, up the mountain. And as they were praying, as Jesus was praying, his appearance changed. His clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses, again, isn't that strange, and Elijah, the law and the prophets, these two great men from the Old Testament appeared in glorious splendor along with Jesus. And Luke tells us that they, dis they discussed Jesus' Im imminent departure. And that word, as we said, as we read it in verse 31, is literally his exodus, so Moses and Elijah were talking about Jesus' exodus. Can you see all these parallels between this experience and that of Moses in Exodus 33? Peter had gone to sleep, but he woke up all of a sudden with a start and with a knee-jerk reaction suggested that he and the lads put up three tabernacles. But that, of course, was to miss the point because Jesus, the true tabernacle, the fulfillment of the Exodus tabernacle, was already with them. And instead, as they were speaking, a cloud appeared. Where have we heard that before? A cloud enveloped them. And they were up the mountain, and again a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. 
Listen to Jesus. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ, the chosen one of God, the fulfillment of everything that has been revealed in the book of Exodus, the fulfillment of the tent of meeting, the fulfillment of Sinai, the one who is greater than Moses and Elijah. Listen to him. Because if you want to see the glory of God, if you want to understand his goodness, you will see it in the face of Jesus. Just this week, uh, somebody was telling Claire about their church where the pastor no longer prepares his sermon, but in his word depends upon the leading of the Holy Spirit as to what to say where the pastor no longer reads from the Bible during the services, but speaks from his own experience. And sadly, I've got to tell you, this is an increasing trend in churches in order to seem more relevant. No wonder the pastor no longer points people to Jesus because he shares things from his own heart. According to the Scriptures, the first way God makes His glory visible is in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we know what God is like. And the second way God makes His glory known is in the gathering of His church, His people. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of God in the city of Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, uh, those who are called to be holy. And Paul writes to a church that have their problems, that have their issues. If you think a church is without its issues, all we have to do is see here. We don't have to read very much in this letter to see the difficulties in that congregation. Uh, there was division, there was sexual immorality, there were lawsuits among the believers, uh, there was inappropriate behavior at communion, and uh, there was controversy over spiritual gifts. What a bunch of people. And yet, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this, do you remember how glorious it was when Moses came down the mountain holding the tablets containing the law? That's the Ten Commandments. Do you remember how Moses' face shone? It was so magnificent, he reminds them, that the Israelites had to put a veil over his face so that they couldn't keep on gazing at him. Well, let me tell you something, says Paul to the Corinthians. The ministry of the church of Jesus Christ, where God's Holy Spirit dwells, is even more spectacular. Where the Bible is taught, where Jesus is preached as Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, there God's glory shines like a light out of the darkness. And in 1 Corinthians 14, it even tells us that on encountering this, unbelievers will fall down and worship God, saying, God is really among you. I wonder sometimes, is there a danger that Christian people, we can get so used to the experience that we call church, 
that we forget what a strange thing it is for unbelievers to be among the gathered community of the faithful, but also what a compelling thing it is for unbelievers when they see it, when they feel it, when they hear these things firsthand for themselves. Many agnostics, many practical atheists assume they know what goes on here in church. They dismiss it as irrelevant, as outdated, as slightly odd. But if Christians who are rather too familiar with church had the insight and the courage to invite friends to experience this for themselves, we may be very surprised at the response. And, and do you know something? We are wonderfully placed here, wonderfully placed in Bloomfield to do just that, because this is a congregation that is well tutored in making strangers welcome. This is a congregation that offers a faithful diet of preaching and praise, of worship and word, morning and evening, because this is the second way in which God's glory is made known in the gathering of the church, his people. I've often said this before, and I guess I will say it again, the one thing that the church of Jesus Christ is able to offer that cannot be found anywhere else is a sense of the presence of the living Lord. Without it, actually, with nothing to offer, God's glory, the glory revealed in the collective coming together of those within whom God's Holy Spirit dwells. And the third great way in which God makes His glory known is in the witness of our individual lives. Again, back to 1 Corinthians, and this time to chapter 6, the apostle Paul reminds the believers in Corinth that not only is God's glory revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, not only is God's glory evident as people collectively gather together in church around His Word and around His table, but God's glory is shone forth in the life and witness of individual believers. Do you not know, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is like a tabernacle, a tent, because God Himself dwells within you. You received Him from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You have been redeemed. Therefore, honor God with your body. What do you do, what do you say, how you behave, how you react, where you go, all these things tell a story. All these actions leave a trace. Some of you will have watched the program this last week about Salisbury and the two Russian spies who placed nerve agent uh, Novichok on the door handle of Sergei Skripal's door. And everywhere that poor man went, there were traces left of his presence. 
And the Christian does that imperceptibly as well. Just recently, I was talking to a gentleman who had been in hospital for an extended period of time, and a nurse came to attend him in the middle of the night. And he said to me, I, I became quite bold because I felt compelled to ask her if she was a Christian. And she looked surprised and said, yes, yes, I am. I do know. And my friend said, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I just knew. Yes? The Christian leaves a trace of the glory of God. Whatever they do, wherever they go, whatever they are up to. And this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 2 calls the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, it's like a fragrance from death to death. To another, a fragrance of life. And whether we like it or not, there is a fragrance called the aroma of the Holy Spirit and people will either love it or hate it. And like somebody working in Gordon's chemist, they can get so used to the smell of the perfume counter that they forget that when they go out through the door, that aroma goes with them. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about this. And the Apostle Paul does, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, where he talks about sexual immorality in the Christian. He says, flee from it. Because if your body is a temple, a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, if, if God's glory is dwelling in you, then you're not your own. You were bought at a price. An expensive sacrifice has been made in order to redeem you. Therefore, honor God with your body. What do you do with it? How you use it? Because the third great way in which God makes His glory known is in the witness of our individual lives. And so, in a world of 4,200 religions, what makes Jesus unique? In a world with countless places of worship and entertainment, commerce, what makes church special? In a world of seven and a half billion people, what makes those who own the name of Jesus, unique, special, or different? The answer is God's glory. God's glory. Will we pray? Gracious Lord, how amazing that your living and abiding presence has been poured out into us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the one who leads us and guides us and directs our paths in our own exodus from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light. As we look forward to that day when there will be no more sin or sorrow, shortcomings or sickness, for we will live in glorified bodies in your presence. Will you help us to press on in the journey with you, assured that your living presence and glorious hope is with us through Jesus Christ our Lord.
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we give you thanks because you are a good God. You are a faithful God. You are a merciful God. You are our Father, our friend, our Savior. We thank you for the many blessings that you have poured down upon us even in this last week. Some big and some so small and ordinary that we maybe didn't even notice or acknowledge them. We acknowledge them now, Lord, and we say thank you. Father, we ask that you would forgive us our sin. Again, some big and some so small and ordinary that we hardly recognize it as sin, but it is, and so we're sorry. Please make us more aware of our sin, quicken our conscience, and give us hearts that are hungry to repent. Father, we want to thank you for the work of Storehouse. We know that their workload will be much busier over the next few weeks and leading up to Christmas and the new year. Thank you for the opportunity that we have as a church to support this work, and we pray for the leaders in Storehouse that you would give them great wisdom and guidance as they seek to meet the different needs of many different people. As needs change, may they know how best to respond. Thank you for the volunteers who go out every Friday morning to chat to the homeless people. Thank you for the great friendships that have been made and for opportunities to invite these folk to Friday church where they hear about you. For the monthly meal around the table, we pray for great opportunities to build friendships and above all, to share the good news of Jesus to them. We pray for the new programs being set up to help ex-offenders. Father, give wisdom to this team and we pray that they will get work placement opportunities to help these people. We thank you for the work that Walkway does in our community. We pray for Rachel and the team as they seek to support individuals and families who have many varied problems. We remember the Homework Club and Walkway Sundays, and we pray for Mandy and the team as they do church right now in Walkway. May your Holy Spirit speak into the hearts of the children who are there and give strength and encouragement to the team as they faithfully share the good news week in, week out. Father, we were shocked to hear the news from Bombardier in East Belfast this week that 490 jobs are being lost. And we realize that this is bad news at any time of year, but it's especially bad news just before Christmas. So we pray for those people who are directly or indirectly impacted by this news. May we as a church seek to offer prayerful and pastoral support to those in need. We also pray for those who are facing anxiety and uncertainty regarding employment, for pressure on business owners and those facing challenging times in the agricultural sector, especially as the implications of Brexit remain unclear. We pray for our Prime Minister and all those who have influence 
that you would give them great wisdom at this very difficult time. May they know your leading and guiding. And we also pray that our local political leaders, as a matter of urgency, would return to government in, Northern, in the Northern Ireland Assembly and provide leadership, especially in the areas of employment and education and health. Father, we pray that they would intensify their efforts to seek new employment opportunities and bring new investment to the city and to our whole country. We pray that you would change bad attitudes, that you would remove personal agendas, that you would soften hard and bitter hearts, and that you would create an atmosphere where our political leaders genuinely desire the very best for this country. Father, we thank you that you invite us to draw near to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Lord, we pray for those whose hearts are heavy or anxious this morning. May they know your peace and presence, and would you remind them that you are more than able. Speak to these people, we pray. And we pray for those who are mourning, and especially we remember Sam as he mourns the loss of his dear wife, Winnie. We pray that you will comfort him and the family, and may they know your presence surrounding them in the days ahead. And just as we end, I just want to read the words of a chorus that came into my head as Frank was speaking. May the fragrance of Jesus fill this place. Lovely fragrance of Jesus rising from the sacrifice of lives led down in adoration. May the glory of Jesus fill his church. Radiant glory of Jesus, shining from our faces as we gaze in adoration. May the beauty of Jesus fill my life. Perfect beauty of Jesus. Fill my thoughts, my words, my deeds, my all I give in adoration. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. <laughs>